This podcast is brought to you by the Voinovich School of Leadership and Public Affairs at Ohio University. Hi, everyone. I'm Bev Jones, and this is Just About Work, where we talk about everything that can have an impact on your career. Today, we'll be talking with Gretchen Dietrich, a recently retired Air Force lieutenant colonel. In her military career, she was commander of a medical support squadron located at NATO headquarters. Then she went to Washington to become one of the leaders engaged in transforming the delivery of health services for military personnel and their families. When she retired from the Air Force last year, with strong healthcare credentials, Colonel Dietrich didn't think it would be too hard to make the transition to a civilian career. But there were more bumps in the road than she expected. She'll talk with us about how she finally landed and how she's continuing to build her new life and career. Gretchen, you joined the Air Force in 1991. By that time, were women pretty well integrated into the organization, or did you face special challenges as a woman in the Air Force? Um, I would say yes. By that time, the Air Force... um, was well integrated having females on board it, for, in most cases. Um, it was shortly after I went on active duty that um, the first, uh, that females are, were allowed to fly fighter jets. But in any other capacity, you were included. It, it wasn't a, a huge, um, you know, distinguishing factor that, in fact, in ROTC, which I you know, attended at our, uh, OU, Ohio University, my senior year, I was the cadet corps commander. Um, you know, so even from a college experience as a female, you know, I was put in, in the top leadership position in the cadet corps. Um, you know, in the, wherever I, and I served in, in different capacities in the Air Force, it, it was never, never an issue. It was the concern, it was more, what do we need? to get the mission done. I think that it's not always that easy. As I've watched over the years how predominantly male organizations have brought women in. Sometimes it's gone very smoothly, sometimes not so much. What do you think are the characteristics of the Air Force that have helped make that happen? Is it, is it partly that focus on getting the mission done? Um, I'm not... Sure, if it's, I mean, that certainly, I mean, and, but I think in all the military branches, although in my later years, I worked more with the other services, but it's, it's always about getting the mission done. But I think where the Air Force is the newest service, um, that, you know, society had already changed in many ways, so that by the time the Air Force was its own established branch of the Department of Defense that came out of the Army Air Corps, you know, we were already well on our way to that that integration. And I'm not saying it's probably not there, but I think in any organization, you know, there there may still be that um, that aspect. But for the most part, I was fortunate that I never, I really never saw any. Well, that's, that's good to hear. It, it, it sounds to me from um, the chat we had recently that one of the characteristics about the Air Force that, that I didn't know about is that 
flexibility's value. That's really what's making the difference in in businesses and other fleet organizations these days. And it sounded like uh, some awareness of the value of flexibility was was part of the environment you found. Oh, a- absolutely, um, Bev. That. In fact, we would often, it, it's often a phrase that's, that said, flexibility is the key to air superiority. And we, that was embraced as part of the culture, is that, that you're able to, to change, to adapt to what, whatever needs to be done. I like um, that phrase. To be able to move forward. Yeah, I do too. <laughs> Another thing that struck me in, in the conversation we had not long ago is, is you were telling me about how you, you earned your master's degree while you were working and how you moved from one Air Force job to another. And it struck me that uh, networking within the military is just as important as it is for those of us who are out there building a career in the civilian world. Is is that how it looks to you? I think it, it, networking, yes, from the – I'd say it more from the standpoint of um, it kind of happens naturally, but um, – it's your reputation that carries forward, you know, of the work that you do. And, um, yeah, so it does, it does help out, especially if, um, as you get higher up in the levels where, you know, if you're not at the base level that you're talking to your counterparts, maybe at other bases so that, you know, um, get different ideas of how to do things better or how to manage. And, um, and then higher up as you, you're overseeing multiple bases, but usually a lot of times the same areas of expertise that you're able to um, multiply um, your experience and share so that on a whole the organization is greater. Well, one of your most intriguing jobs, it sounded to me, was when you were the commander of a medical support squadron that was associated with NATO. How how did you get that job? And and tell us about it. That was a fascinating. Oh my one. gosh! Well, I I was the yes the sixty um, fifth medical support squadron commander on the Azores Islands, um, which was just amazing. And the command, um, because of the responsibility and the unique position you are as as a commander, because you have actually certain legal rights and you can enforce the, uh, the uniform code of military justice. Um, and you're on what's put on G series orders. There's a, there's actually um, a very it's a competitive selection process to be selected for to have a command position to begin with, and so that in itself was just amazing. That I just felt so blessed that I was selected for that. But then in addition to be stationed on the Azores Islands, which is an amazing amazing location. And then, um, but while I was there, an opportunity came where um, there was a deployment uh, to Kosovo to serve on the NATO headquarters there in Pristina, Film City. And my commander um, supported me volunteering for that position, and I was selected. And so I was the uh, joint deputy medical commander for uh, the headquarters forces of NATO and Kosovo. And that was simply beyond words. That what, what were you doing there? What, what was your responsibility there? We helped coordinate the medical actions for the, coast, the NATO forces in Kosovo. Um, each, compa- each country 
provided their own medical support for their own troops, their own military force, but we helped oversee and coordinate what was what was needed. Also worked with the Kosovar community as well. In, in, in that complicated environment with lots of different kind of people around and pretty heavy responsibility far away from the homeland, did you feel like your leadership style changed in any way? Did it change your sense of yourself as a leader? I wouldn't say change. I think it helped support what I had always been, you know, had the examples of and been able to see is just the the teamwork and the unity that's needed to go forward and, you know, adapting, you know, trying to bring everybody's strengths together, even from multiple countries that, um, and, you, and of course, communication was a, a, a big part of that. And um, it's humbling to, uh, you know, because we had 40 different countries, wow. but English was the main language. And, um, to even communicate in your own language, <laughs> but to other people, you know, who have it as a second language, it was just, it was phenomenal. How many, how many people said to me, oh, I'm sorry, my English isn't very good. I'm like, oh my gosh, I can under- more than understand you. And I certainly can't, you know, I tried as much as I could to learn a few at least phrases and you know, even just to say good morning to people in their various uh, uh, languages. But uh and I was thinking, oh, it's going to be so serious because, you know, humor doesn't always translate. And I'm telling you, I almost, uh, I don't think I've laughed, laughed more. Oh, that's wonderful. <laughs> because, yeah, it was, it was an amazing environment, especially, um, I think I mentioned to you when we talked before, when I grew up in the middle to the end of the Cold War, and yet here I am serving the same mission with Hungarians and Slovakians and, um, you know, of course, other European countries, but... Um, but some that are, you know, we're on that, that border of um, the Soviet Union. So. What, a, what a wonderful opportunity and what a way to kind of test yourself and as a leader in, in, in a challenging but uh, important environment. Yeah. Well, was I it, did want to say, yeah? say that it wasn't, you know, all fun. And get, yeah, certainly it was a serious mission, and we worked very hard um, in Kosovo. I don't... And, you know, under deployed circumstances, but uh, yeah, I, I don't have any doubt about that. Great and mission. They're, they're different kinds yeah. of hard work. So there, you're sort of more <laughs> on the ground and dealing with um, big world issues in some way. But was it after that you went to Washington and you were more sort of embedded in changing the bureaucracy? Is that the path you took? Um, yes. So after um, my my tour. In the Azores, um, the next, where I was, you know, as part of the Air Force assignment process, I was um, assigned to headquarters for the uh, Air Force Surgeon General in D.C. and had a variety, and yeah, and that was at you know headquarters. So I was helping to develop policy, you know, and how um, and respond, not just policy to to go down, you know, to the various levels. Um, of actions that need to be done, but also respond upwards to Congress, um, to big Air Force on things that um, either needed to happen or, you know, responding to different inquiries or projects. What was the biggest challenge when you found yourself in kind of this headquarters uh, (laughs) complex situation? It's a different kind of communication challenge, is it? 
it is. Um, well, it, good and bad. I mean, it's really there's a great focus on making sure whatever needs to be discussed that all the players are included. That it's not just okay. This is a clinical thing. This is you know this only affects the you know okay. This is for the physical therapists, but yet it it wouldn't just be like the physical therapist talking in the airport. It would be the physical therapist, the the nurses, the doctors, the um, you know the support, the admin support people, just making sure that everybody that would touch some sort of policy was included to make sure that we weren't. Um, you know, missing something, which would often <laughs> might all you know cause a little bit of delay just because you had to get everybody together on the same piece. But it it makes it easier, of course, now with all the electronic and different ways of communicating long distance and you know conference calls and all that. So you you were in headquarters in the Air Force, and but then you were working on issues that cut across the military on health care delivery. Is that right? That's correct. As part of, well, first of all, just as being on the Air Force headquarters, that being at that level, we, we were always in coordination with our counterparts in the different services because um, we all fell under the military health service, um, health affairs part of the Department of Defense. But then again, I was very fortunate that I was selected in 2013 to be a member of a presidential commission that was established to look at modernizing the military compensation and retirement um, system because it hadn't been changed since the all-volunteer all force started uh, 40 years ago. And I was, as so there was three portfolios under that commission looking at pay and retirement quality of life and the health benefit. And so I was on the health benefit um, portion of the commission and it wasn't necessarily changing what our health benefit was, you know, what would be covered, so to speak, but of how, what's the best way to capitalize, you know, to, to maximize the benefit that's provided, but also the mission to, to make sure that it's going forward to really trying to implement or advise on changing um, how, how our medical services is done. We'll be back with Bev after this brief message. Are you ready to make a difference in the world? The Voinovich School of Leadership and Public Affairs at Ohio University can give you the skills to do just that. The school offers a multidisciplinary approach where public policy, environmental studies, and entrepreneurship come together to educate tomorrow's leaders. Learn more about the Master's in Public Administration or Environmental Studies by visiting ohio.edu backslash Voinovich School. Healthcare delivery, of course, is a huge topic of discussion in, in the United States today. It's so yeah. complex. I, I yeah. guess by about that time, you were thinking about retiring and maybe what your next career would 
Vee, did you think that you might just slip over to the civilian side and grapple with the same issues? Or how did you start thinking about leaving the Air Force and, and, and becoming a civilian professional again? Oh, goodness. Yeah, I figured that at least, you know, I wasn't sure what I would do afterwards, but I figured at least certainly <laughs> the healthcare health administrative world would be a place to start. Um, and it's and it's probably well. I'm. I thought it would be an easy way because it's often said that it's hard for civilians to understand what you did in the military or to translate what you did in the military into the civilian world. And I thought for sure that at least you know healthcare administration that's going to translate immediately. Um, but even then, you know, in writing my resumes and applying for jobs afterwards, it was still. Um, it was odd that there's still like specific terminology that even though I did it in the Air Force, you know, you know, reporting data, let's just say very general, that we called it something else. And one of the jobs I applied to called it quality management. Well, in the Air Force, we tried called quality management something else. I mean, not completely differently, but it had a specific kind of term. And I didn't know how to say, oh, what I did in the Air Force, that's quality management on the outside. So it, it was still an odd translation that I didn't expect. But, um, yeah, I started off thinking at, at least let me apply to administrative um, in healthcare, and where I, I did have a couple of connections there um, to at least try to find different avenues of to try to find a job. <laughs> well, you did find a, a job that's that's quite different and sounds kind of intriguing. Tell us about what you're doing now, and, and how did you connect with that job? Well, with all the help, you think of content and things, but, um, and most of the time, you know, they say that connect, job opportunities are done by who you know, but this, this particular job, I am um, the executive administrative assistant slash office manager for Neograft Technologies. It's a small um, medical device development company. We are not, we're still in trials and we're not anywhere near going uh, commercial. But um, I, I found this job through um, Indeed.com, mm-hmm. you know, through a job search. And right. it came up and... Um, and it actually, I am the sole administrative person here, and yet it fits so well for me because my, my undergraduate degree is in industrial technology, so engineering, which they do, oh, it still blows my mind what they do here, the bioengineering that goes on. But still, I can, you know, associate with that mind. And But then it's also the product that we're looking at is to help strengthen veins, um, that are used in coronary bypass surgery. So there's a medical aspect to it. And if we, when we hopefully are success, successful in, with this pro- product, that my role will, will likely expand to build upon my experience in the medical business side of the, the business side of the medical world and administration and setting up relationships with different hospitals or reimbursement or, you know, what have you. And then my entire career in the Air Force, I was doing really administrative support for the main mission, and that's what I'm doing here. You know, my my goal is to do everything I can so that 
our engineers and our scientists can just focus on what they need to do um, to get this right and to take any burdens I can off my boss and our other, you know, senior, a couple other senior executives and, and the board of directors to make sure that to do as much as I can to support them. So you've made a transition from leading a lot of people or being in very complex kind of big-time negotiations across a lot of lines, to, to being an, an entrepreneurial situation. My yeah. guess is that if you're like other vets that I've talked to, going from something that's big and a community and lots of interaction to something that kind of small, is kind of small, it can be, um, it can be lonely if you don't take steps to, to build out the rest of your life. Uh, would you agree with that? And and how are you? What else are you doing aside from lining up a job? What else are you doing <laughs> to ease your path from your Air Force uh, distinguished role to to starting a, a new career all over again? Well, one thing I was very fortunate, I think, in and is that I already knew pretty much unless something drastic happened where I was going to retire to to Cape Cod, where I'd spent every summer of my life. Um, you know, I knew the area, um, you know, everything was familiar to me and I already had, and I had a house here. Um, but one of the concerns I had was still like, even though it's familiar, I, I need to be part of the community here. I can't just be living in my (laughs) house and going to work and I need some sort of other outlet. And fortunately, um, over the past years, I had an interest, and I was able to support from afar financially, is the National Marine Life Center in Buzzards Bay, where they have grown, and they are now um, accredited to, for rehabilitating sea turtles and seals. And I've always had an interest in, well, in wildlife, but especially marine, wildlife, marine animals. And because I was kind of in between, you know, looking for a job, but um, wanted something else, and especially to, to help be feet on the ground where I could with this or, this wonderful organization and the mission that they have. And I was able to volunteer in their animal care hospital and actually take care of the seals and sea turtles on a, well, weekly basis with my volunteer. And then I also helped chair one of their uh, our major fundraiser that we have for the organization. What does it mean to take care of baby seals? Uh, what what are they oh my doing? gosh! Um, you know what a lot of it is, especially <laughs> it's cleaning. That, <laughs> I would say out of four-hour volunteer shift, it was three hours and forty minutes of cleaning. And yet, even that, I'm not just saying that was so. I'm getting choked up. Literally, it was so rewarding just to clean because it was such a vital part of their health to make sure that, you know, because we had, they're in a contained environment, you know, we can't have a whole open ocean. So it was vital that we, that their areas were were kept clean. So so you caring for these babies, really, and the pups and and the turtles, and it's hands-on, and uh, what a great way to, to, to plunge into service, to have that that, that real connection as you're establishing yourself. It, it's still, it's amazing. It was amazing. And it, it, even that, you know, and they're, they're wild animals, and you're like, oh, they're so cute. But it, 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 it's still like, oh, 
it's just amazing to have an impact on these. And you really, at least for me, I feel like I'm contributing to the circle of life. You know, it's not just, okay, saving these animals. It's like they play an important part in our, in the ecosystem. And if you take any part of that out, you know, you, you, there's an imbalance in the world. So, Well, an observation I'd, I'd make from your experience and, and, and want to share with other people, whether they're retiring from a military role or, or from some other kind of career and they're starting another phase, is it's not just about the job. It's about finding a way where you can connect with your community by doing something that really matters to you and, and that, that passion Absolutely. will can change your life. Does, does that sound about right? Absolutely. Um, it just it makes a difference. And even from working there, the um, I've developed great friendships um, that have now ex- expanded out. And, um, and it's even amazing that... Um, I had friends from Ohio University come and visit this summer, and they attended um, the Mermaid Ball. That's <laughs> the fundraiser for the Marine Life Center. And my friends talked to some other friends that work for another organization, and now they're connected. So it's it's really a lovely. It's it's gone beyond what you know I had even hoped just to be able to you know help out some. <laughs> you know, it, it's connected on a much bigger level. It sounds like um, by trying to help a little bit, you've really expanded your life and it's easing your path to to your post-career career. Do you have any other suggestions or advice or lessons from your experience that might help other people who are switching gears like that? To keep going, um, <laughs> it's hard. It's easy for me to say now because I have the job, but it was it was a very discouraging process still, even though when, you know, everybody says, oh, we want to help veterans, we want to help them transition, we want to help them get jobs afterwards, we, and, oh, you've got great experience, and yet it, it, it's still such a difficult process, and just to, it's hard, and I know that, to keep at it, but eventually, you know, it, it does pay off, um, and I made sure, like, things, I would still make sure I would get up early every day, you know, that I wouldn't just, I didn't want to fall into, oh, I'll, yeah. I can sleep in today, you know. I would get up and yeah, take care of my dogs first, but then I'd be on the computer, you know, searching or, you know, if I found, um, if I found a job, you know, tweaked, was trying to, uh, you know, adjust my resume, not, of course, but, you know, to tweak it to try to, to try to match, to try to you know, know all the tricks now that, that companies have of, um, you know, doing a computer search on a, a resume versus, you know, to making sure, you know, to pick up keywords or something, you know. And, and I had my friend, you know, a couple of good friends that I trusted to look over my resume, you know, give it a different set of eyes to to look at it. Um, and it, it just, it, it, it's, it's an effort. It's like um, when you're in a phase like that, your job is to find a job and to build a next right. phase. And it's sort of thankless and discouraging sometimes. So coming up with structures, like I think a lot of people have a regular exercise schedule, and that's sort of part of it. You know, Trying to stay right. in shape for the transition is part of it. Did, yes. 
I know you um, probably had a habit of exercise from your military days. Was that part of your transition? Um, <laughs> um, not directly, I guess. Well, I wasn't, I, I enjoyed running and um, other activities, uh, not just because I had to keep in shape for the Air Force, and I, I have not been good about doing that as much, <laughs> but I did. But I do get exercise still from playing with my dogs on a daily basis. But um, that is one thing that I, I definitely need to get back into that routine. Well, that's something that yeah. uh, I think we all have to sort of recreate from time <laughs> to time is our exercise routine. Yeah. And I'm with you. Playing with our, our dogs is a good way to do it. Gretchen, it has been wonderful to talk with you. I'm I'm so pleased to hear that you've you've made a transition with opportunity in the future and and um, rewarding times in the present. Uh, thank you so much for being with me today. Oh, thank you, Bev. I'm really grateful for this, that you asked me. This has been terrific. Today we've been talking with retired Air Force Lieutenant Colonel Gretchen Dietrich. After a distinguished military career, she is starting over, working in a biotech startup and becoming part of a new community. Today's tip is that no matter how happy you are in your current job, it's never too early to start thinking about your next phase. As you go through your busy days, notice what you like most and least about your work life and develop goals for the future. And start taking little steps, like developing the skills and relationships that might help you make the shift. This podcast is produced by WOUB Public Media. Adam Rich is our audio engineer. I'm your host, Beverly Jones, author of Think Like an Entrepreneur, Act Like a CEO. Music